Hello everyone and what's up? My name is Ahmed Al Balaghi. In this episode of Encrypted, we cover the SDO Global Blockchain Challenge, which happened in the Future Blockchain Summit in Dubai. And in this episode, which is really special, we collaborated with Smart Dubai and the DFA, which is a Dubai Future Accelerators, just to cover the 20 finalists that flew from all around the world to pitch their blockchain ideas. And in this episode, we first um, interview uh, Karen Gabriel, who's a project lead at the DFA. And we sort of randomly selected six projects um, to speak with from the 20 finalists to understand a bit more about um, these projects. And uh, yeah, one of the projects that we actually spoke to actually went on to win the whole competition, which is actually really exciting. Um, so congrats to the winners. And um, we really hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Encrypted. We are in the Dubai Future Accelerator space, where I'm here with Karen Gabriel, who's um, running the Dubai Future Accelerators. Uh, together with a fantastic team. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Ahmed. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're basically um, doing this recording because they are organizing this amazing um, global blockchain challenge. Um, as part of the Future Blockchain Summit. And here, Karen will be talking a bit more about what the DFA is, as well as the challenge. But first of all, who are you? <laughs> who <am laughs> We'd like I? to know more about you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks a lot for this great opportunity, Ahmed. Uh, it's quite exciting to be on your show. Cool. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Karen. I'm originally from Austria, uh, but I've been in Dubai for a bit more than seven years. Um, prior to that, I used to live in India. Um, and then through India, I came to Dubai. Cool. And I'm very happy to call Dubai my home. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate to work for Dubai Future Accelerators. I've been on board since we started two and a half years ago. Dubai Future Accelerators is an initiative by Dubai Future Foundation, which is a government organization. We, as Dubai, in Dubai Future Foundation, are a very young organization, around four and a half, five years old. Um, we call ourselves a startup as well, and we have very exciting projects, one of them being the Museum of the Future, the 3D printed office, Area 2071, 10X, and of course, Dubai Future Accelerators, DFA. Um, what's interesting about Dubai Future Accelerators is that we are not a traditional accelerator. Our mandate lies in accelerating speeding up innovation in the government by connecting government entities with startups and scale-ups from around the world, and our focus is on emerging tech. Uh, the reason why Dubai Future Accelerators was set up is because the mandate of a government, in a very simple way, is to provide the best services to the citizens, the residents, the tourists of a city or country. And what we have seen is that the regular Oh, actually, what our leadership has realized is that the regular procurement process in the public sector doesn't allow us to work with the startups and scalers, which means we miss out a lot of the innovation. Yeah. And also when you look at the regulatory framework that a lot of government entities are setting up in their industry, from the healthcare authority and healthcare sector to the road and transport authority and mobility sector, it's important for them to understand emerging technologies from a very early stage onwards to make sure that they create a framework that allows the use of the technologies in a positive way yeah. and doesn't hinder the development of, of it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And um, what what about the um, the blockchain challenge? How does that sort of play a role in this whole yeah. whole theme? So in the last. 
I would say six to seven months, we kind of like have diversified our portfolio of innovation programs. So of course, we are still running the nine week DFA program. Um, in addition to this, we have run our program with HTC and Burj Khalifa on virtual reality. And Smart Dubai Officer has been a partner with us from cohort one onwards. So since 2017, has approached us this year and asked us if we want to co-organize and co-facilitate the global blockchain challenge, with they, which they have initiated two years ago. Uh, we were quite excited and we felt very honored. Um, and we kind of like set ourselves a target of doubling the number of applicants we had from last year, or Smart Buy Office had last year, which was 200. And I thought, okay, we might reach 350, 400 of like really interesting blockchain startups. To our surprise, we have received 700 applications straight, um, which is really, really impressive. And it was very difficult to select the top 20. Yeah. And what was the selection criteria? How do you do guys? Because um, I remember... Um, there was sort of a selection criteria. First, they went through the DFA, yeah. and then Smart Dubai had to come in and choose the final 20. So what was sort of the thought process behind the selection criteria and, and this process yeah. as well? Um, so that's correct. So the first stage was with Dubai Future Accelerators. We were looking into, first of all, the solution they provide. Is it relevant to Dubai? Then the second one um, was whether they're solution really requires blockchain and what is kind of like also the, just the, the, the plan for their uh, startup moving forward and what, what are their plans and would it align with Smart Dubai Office. Um, Smart Dubai Office then took a look at it again and shortlist the company. I think we gave them a list of 100 and they selected the top 20. And now the top 20 are here in Dubai. It's day two of the preparation. Uh, we have one more day to go until the pitching event. Great. And yeah. um, when you, okay, so Smart Dubai went from 100 to 20. Yeah. You guys went from 700 odd to, to 100. Uh, yeah. how, how did you do that? Um, well, it's, uh, it was, as I like, it was very difficult. Yeah. Um, we have a fantastic team mm. that was looking at the applications literally day and night for yeah. a whole week, uh, especially towards the end. Um, and yeah, we just went through the metrics and then just, Shortlist the ones which you think are a best fit, yeah. All right, and um, when it when it comes to sort of the, the next couple of days, as mm -hmm. we know, the future blockchain summit is coming up. Yeah. With the um, with the pitches, how are the DFA helping the startups to um, actually prepare for that? Yeah, we set up a program which addresses three different parts. So first of all, um, the storyline. How is the storyline tied to? the concept of smart cities or Dubai in specific. The second aspect focus on uh, the vision presentation, so the design. Um, our lead designer at Dubai Future Foundation gave a very insightful presentation this morning on the do's and don'ts when you create slides. And the third part is um, around the overall performance. So yesterday we had set up two green rooms where the company is pitched in front of uh, a ch charging panel, so our team. And um, we gave them some feedback, so they have three minutes to pitch, and they had time the, like this morning to take a look at their recording. We also set up the stage, uh, we outlined the stage uh, that we have yeah. at the Future Blockchain Summit, the same uh, format here in, uh, in the DFA Auditorium, for people just to get comfortable and to try. I think what is really exciting is that those 20 companies are coming from 16 countries, and they represent in 18 different industries, so it's a very diverse group. Around 70% are coming to Dubai for the very first time. 
And what I really like is um, that they all are friendly competitors. They're actually helping each other. They're getting along quite well. So that's really exciting to see. Great to yeah. hear. Um, well, thank you very much for shedding light. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Yes, one thing, and I, I guess it's because uh, something that uh, is not worthy to mention. So we have 20 top finalists and we have 19 female, uh, 19 male representatives and only one female representative. Oh, wow. And I want to give a shout out to Nasima. <laughs> uh, she's actually 22 years old. Wow. She uh, represents a company from uh, the UK and the name is, let, just, let me check so that I don't, um, it's called Matt Block um, okay. and uh, Nasima is the founder. So I just want to give a wow. shout out to her because wow. I think it's pretty amazing, yeah. especially at 22. So we, we actually had a, a meetup yesterday <laughs> yeah. for, for Encrypted and in the first half hour when we were accepting guests, I think there was only one female in the room. I went, yeah. like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is not good. Luckily, there, was, there were a lot of latecomers um, but then it kind of evened out 70, 30 or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, yeah. in terms of representation, it's uh, it's a really big topic. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll hope to grow the numbers while moving Hopefully. forward. And I think uh, opportunities like the Future Blockchain Summit and the Global mm. um, Blockchain Competition are a great way for us to put the spotlight on, on yeah. like different individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> And that was Karen Gabriel from the DFA. We'd like to thank her again um, for coming on to the show. And next up, we have interviewed six projects from the 20 finalists um, in the Global Blockchain Challenge. These are TE Food, Blue Chain, QuantStamp, Ole Sports, PO8 and Akita Blockchain Solutions. I basically ensure that each interview range within five to ten minutes and within those five to ten minutes we be able to understand the project the um, what problem they're solving why they need a blockchain and really sort of grilling down into the details to see um, what they're really doing and ultimately i try to also get them to um, explain their concept in layman terms as well so hopefully um, you guys enjoy this and hopefully you learn something out of it so first up, we have um, TE Food. Um, Eric is the CEO of TE Food, is here with me. So we're going to do a f sort of rapid fire questions. We don't want to take too long for, for all of the startups. So Eric, um, please introduce yourself and tell us what TE Food is all about. So thank you very much for the possibility. So my name is Eric Aroksnalash, I'm Hungarian, but the company is a German company. So I am the CEO, uh, CEO and the co-founder of T Food. Mm -hmm. And we are doing uh, uh, farm-to-table food traceability on blockchain. Okay. And this is the project. So, and uh, we are not providing a blockchain platform, but we are providing a, a whole solution for the whole supply chain itself. Okay, and what does that actually mean? Well, by providing the whole solution for the, the supply chain? So actually the, the, the challenge is uh, for the supply chain object identification. We have a solution how to identify in the, in the animal sector, in the agriculture sector, in the fruit vegetable sector, the object, the products, even in the retail as well. Okay. Data collection. Okay. That means how we can collect the data by mobile application, interfaces, API and so on to blockchain. And even uh, we are, we have a module for data presentation. Okay. 
a B2C application, mobile application for the buyers, for the, for the consumers. Okay. In the shop, they can just check the QR code of the product and they are getting back all the traceability information of the, of the product from the blockchain. Great. And are you guys deploying on a private blockchain, public blockchain? What's the... Actually, it's a permission blockchain uh, that we are using. It's, um, it's, uh, we are doing, we have master nodes as well after KYC, so it's it's not public, it's a permission public blockchain. That a permission we, public blockchain, yes, okay, that's yes, really yes. interesting. Yes, so all of our, we have, uh, we have our own nodes. Additionally, we have the so-called super nodes. The super okay. nodes uh, are belonging to the authorities and the big uh, members of the supply chain who are using the system okay. already. And master nodes and the master nodes belongs to the buyer community, the consumer community. Okay. After KVC, they can open a, a master node. And what about um, the, the permission blockchain? Is this something that you guys are creating on your own or have you partnered with or building on top of other permission chains that are out there in the market? Actually, it's, a, it's our own blockchain okay. it's called Food Chain. Okay. And we are using Hyperledger technology for that. All right. So there's no token? It's not token. No token. Okay. Not and token. What, what what's the consensus mechanism? What ensures the Actually, it's, a, it's the Kafka method that we are using. It's built in in the, in the uh, uh, Hyperledger mm-hmm. technology. So we have endorser and orderer and, uh, and uh, let's say, transaction appears in the whole uh, uh, blockchain structure. And the authorities, the super nodes can make the order for a transaction. Okay. And all the master nodes, the buyer community master nodes can uh, recognize and confirm back the transaction event. All right. And who, who are your um, customers? Are they sort of consumers like me or are they, and they, are they also um, the corporates, logistic companies? What's the... Actually, we have a different type of implementations. The first type is the governmental implementation mm-hmm. when we are agreeing or we are contracting a governmental authority, food safety authority mm-hmm. or, or veterinary authority to do the traceability. Okay. The second implementation type is private implementation. Mm-hmm. We are contracting with retail chains, for instance, mm-hmm. in Europe with Ocean. It's a huge retail chain in, in Ocean and they are using food chain already for the local produced mm-hmm. uh, uh, food products in five countries already. Okay. And, uh, and beside the retail chains, we have in the private sector integrators. Mm-hmm. Integrators in the agriculture means they have more roles in the supply chain, let's say farming and processing and mm-hmm. packaging as well. So they are doing more, more tasks in the supply chain in the food sector. These are the integrators, they are very important nowadays and they can be a very important uh, contracted mm. partner of us. All right, and what about consumers like me? Will, how will, will we ever interact with this platform? And if so, how? Uh, sorry? So oh. what, what about con- customers, like yeah, um, customers. retail people who don't know anything about the technology? You mentioned an app, so do you expect people to download an app and use this? Uh, actually, do we have an application as well, the T-Food application. But uh, the QR code that we are generating for the retail sector, mm. it's already containing a URL mm. with the particular traceability information. So they don't even need to download the application. Just a QR code reader on the mobile phone, okay. iOS or Android. So then they, and they, can, they can check, they can check the, the, the product, product traceability information. Okay. Um, so the idea is that to sort of um, 
give a solution for the governments, corporates, as well as the, the retail side. Now, when it comes to the retail side, through the QR code that you mentioned, um, when they sort of track the tra- sort of the traceability, can you walk through that whole process of the traceability? So, in a way, from um, the, the start to finish, how do I know that you guys have traced it well enough? Right? Like, do you put an F- NFC chip? What's the what's the deal? Actually, this is this is the main goal that uh, that we are uh, uh, providing an integrated solution for the whole supply chain. That means, for instance, in the chicken industry, we began the whole process in the hatchery farm, mm-hmm. the one-day-old chicken, mm-hmm. feeding, vaccination information collected, and after it goes to the growing farm, we collect mm-hmm. all the feeding and vaccination information as well. Mm-hmm. Later, it goes to the slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. processing, packaging, and all the steps is co- uh, uh, integrated into the T-Food blockchain traceability system. And in the retail, the buyer, the consumer is able to check back all the information, logistical and food safety related information by the landing page. We are calling it landing page uh, by the mobile phone. Great. Thank you very much, Eric, for coming on and explaining what T-Food is all about. Okay, thank you very much. And the second company that I'm with today is Blue Chain, and it's bluechain.tech, not bluechain.com. So <laughs> I, I had that um, mix up. So with me um, is both the co-founders, Demetrius and George. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. All right, Demetrius, do you want to quickly go ahead and introduce yourself and the project? All right. Uh, my name is Demetrios Funis. Uh, I'm a senior of computer science uh, from the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki in Greece. And uh, I'm George Vagenas, I'm an environmental biologist from the same university, and we are both uh, creators of BlueChain. Right, so uh, should I give you an easy description of the project? Ah. BlueChain uh, is built to control, monitor and optimize uh, the process of uh, industrial input and output regarding resources. Uh, it's built purely for industrial use. What does that mean? Right, so Explain it to me like I'm five years old. What is industrial? <laughs> and we right. have five minutes, by the way. I'm giving a time limit. We've built our, uh, our speech to be three minutes. So Good. Uh, the, the problematic situation in industrial resource handling right now is that uh, the process itself um, uh, does not, it fails to see the whole ecosystem as a, as a continuum. Uh, and uh, this creates a lot of inefficiencies uh, in the order of uh, literal hundreds of millions, especially in European examples, uh, in European industries. Uh, this helps uh, our project helps to not only manage or just uh, uh, write down uh, the different transfers of assets between an industry uh, and its ecosystem, uh, but optimizes the process when you place uh, the whole situation in a weighted, uh, balanced state between government, industries who produce, environmental zones, and scientific communities producing knowledge on the system. It's, it's all about balancing the whole ecosystem to produce optimization. Okay, and what, what is the exact thing that you're optimizing mm. and how are you using blockchain to do that? Right. So uh, the thing we're optimizing is uh, the actual input and output of resources during production. Uh, input uh, as a, you know, a product of actual uh, industrial process, the process, uh, and output as in resources back into the environment which cause either damage to the environment, that's the environmental part, mm-hmm. Or uh, they become, they feed into the next industrial process. So that's uh, seeing the ecosystem as a continuum to maximize production. 
uh, our first case study was uh, the treatment of wastewater in China. Mm -hmm. We were in. We took the second global award in uh, Bytom Telcon uh, last November, where we had our first case study on wastewater treatment plants. It's a huge problem in China, as in other countries as well mm -hmm. in the world. Uh, water resources are limited, and we've tried to uh, approach uh, this very important issue. Uh, as Mitte said, input and outputs. Uh, huge industrial uh, operations use water, and uh, we try to monitor this process uh, so we can optimize not just uh, the not just the industrial operation, but also the quality of the environment as well. This has an impact in the society too and the governments, the main, uh, the key elements of the administration uh, can have a 100% uh, monitoring of all the different processes. Okay, and what, what blockchain are you guys using? Um, what's the, the consensus as well? Right. Uh, we use the Byton blockchain mm -hmm. because of its multi-asset capabilities. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. And I would like to actually go back to your uh, earlier question of why use a blockchain. Mm -hmm. We actually researched that a lot. There's no point in using a blockchain if you can do the same solution with traditional uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, data structures and uh, approximations. Mm -hmm. uh, we use blockchain for uh, the, not only the transparency, which helps a lot in our case, not only for the speed, but also for the security and immutability. Mm -hmm. That's the big part because all operations uh, to and from the environment are immutable. Once you throw away resources, mm -hmm. you can never get them back. And they stay in the ecosystem, in the, in the environmental zone, they stay there forever mm -hmm. to be used. That hurts sustainability. That's why you use blockchains. We use Byton again. <laughs> Okay, and what, what's the, for those who don't know, what was the consensus of Byton? Right. Why, why do you a, use Byton? It's a proof of work coin, okay. uh, not a POS that everybody seems to be using these days, but we prefer the consensus mechanism of Byton as well. All right, and uh, do you guys have a token? Uh, no, we don't use uh, tokens uh, with monetary value, if that's what you're to uh, talking about. Uh, we use multiple assets in the system to represent uh, either water, energy resources, environmental resources, and rewards, uh, blue coin, but uh, that uh, is up to the government to, uh, to to define. It's not something that has monetary value. All right, and that's something that, um, like, if we were to sort of think out loud, this mm -hmm. could be some sort of, um, in in a way, reward token that the government would describe value to and say that absolutely, you know, uh, this uh, could be subsidies, for example. Right, like subsidies, that a, subsidies is a good, is yeah. a good thought. Uh, a monetary value is a very simplistic approach that could work also, but mm -hmm. not that well. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, the the value comes from utility, not really what blue coin is as a mm -hmm. as a value. Uh, it's it's about using a reward ahead of time through a smart contract to build a trustless weighted cycle. That's the thing. All right, cool stuff. Um, good Don't luck. Really, right? <laughs> <laughs> good luck with the with the finals and and the, the pitch. And yeah, let's see if you guys win. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for having us. Eh? And good luck to the other teams too. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, everyone. So now we are with the third finalist, um, Quantstamp, and we are here with Krishna and Don. Can you guys introduce yourself, please? My name is Krishna. Uh, I uh, co-lead uh, business and partnerships together with Don, who is also here. And um, I joined Quantstamp in 2017 as uh, I was extremely inspired by our mission to uh, secure smart contracts at scale and protect millions of dollars in, uh, from getting stolen in hacks and vulnerabilities. Hi, everyone. My name is Don Ho. Uh, I work very closely with Krishna. Myself, I am also very drawn to Quantstamp's mission. I lost a lot of money in previous hacks, 
And leading up to it, I had no other way to make sure the smart contracts I interacted with were safe. Um, so when I came across QuantStamp, I thought it was a really novel solution to decentralized security. All right. So can you guys just, in a nutshell, layman terms, explain what QuantStamp is trying to solve? I think you've already mentioned it once or twice during introduction, but let, let's see the pitch. Sure. QuantStamp is a YC-backed company building software that automatically checks for vulnerabilities in smart contracts. So we all know that the blockchain is secure, but smart contracts are not. Mm -hmm. And different than apps like Facebook or Zillow or Yelp, smart contracts are final once you publish them online. So you can think about smart contracts a lot more like hardware design mm -hmm. or rocket design than actual apps. Mm -hmm. And so we want to find ways to ensure that code is safe once it's get once it's on the blockchain. What, what does that really mean? Like, why do you need a blockchain for that? Um, so, luckily, we don't need a blockchain. Okay. Uh, we are actually a protocol okay. for securing smart contracts. So, and what does that add? mean? So, we are building software that is actually blockchain agnostic. Okay. Right. Meaning that any smart contract platform mm -hmm. is going to need some sort of protocol to ensure that those smart contracts are safe. Okay. Right. So what here at QuantStam, what we do is we use formal verification methods, mm -hmm. meaning we are mathematically proving the correctness of your code before it gets put online. Okay. And so the way we see the world is, you know, today uh, there are 12 million Ethereum-based smart contracts. Mm -hmm. A year ago, there were only 3 million. Mm -hmm. And we see smart contracts will continually, exponentially grow. And that's not only on Ethereum. That's on EOS. That could be on Zillica. That can be on Quarkchain, Tron, you name it. And so we are creating that protocol that can sit on every one of these blockchains. All right. And this protocol is, is not a blockchain in itself. It's basically a software, like you said, which aids... Um, these different blockchains when people actually try and deploy these smart contracts. Um, so, so tell me, I, I know that you guys are in ICO, deployed a token. Why do you need a token? Why is it there? Uh, so the QuantStamp token is basically used to uh, incentivize uh, uh, payments on the network as well as used as a way to provide assurance for uh, smart contracts. So in addition to the protocol that we uh, initially uh, proposed in the white paper in uh, 2017, we also added a new protocol and developed it in-house and uh, we're almost uh, close to deploying it. It's being internally um, alpha tested mm -hmm. and it basically allows uh, smart contract owners to stake their tokens as a form of um, putting their skin in the game after auditing a contract. So you basically stake your tokens to receive okay. a premium on it. Uh, every uh, which is paid out every few blocks as uh, as a reward for you having um, sort of uh, underwritten the risk of that contract essentially. But who 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 pays? So who gives that premium to the to the auditor? So um, for example, uh, different stakeholders in the ecosystem say you are a project um, mm. which is sort of a decentralized exchange protocol and you have 
several uh, different uh, exchanges or decentralized exchanges and different um, uh, decentralized finance platforms being built on top of your protocol. It's quite likely that um, not just you, but all the projects that are being built upon, upon your protocol have a lot of funds at risk, right? And um, we are basically providing a way for um, all of these parties to essentially stake tokens, uh, or sorry, uh, to pay a premium and to uh, receive some assurance that their funds are safe. So if the contract gets compromised or be misbehaves, um, according to the variables that are defined and sort of uh, secured by the auditor, um, the uh, projects and uh, the projects and different stakeholders who have uh, actually paid the premium will actually get the, pay the funds paid out to them. Yeah, so put another way, I think the vision here at QuantStamp is a world run on smart contracts. And our mission then is to build really cool products and software that enables a world run on smart contracts. So our initial protocol allows anyone in the world to copy and paste their own code and have objectively a verifiable report to report where all the bugs are. Moreover though, what Krishna was talking about is this concept of assuring that your smart contract remains safe once it is online. The number one thing we always hear from our customers, mm -hmm. our clients, is how do I remain safe once my code is online? Okay. And so for us, we wanted to create uh, a sort of assurance protocol where QuantStamp provides a QuantStamp of approval. Okay. And once we do that, you allow smart contract owners and people who want to back these different smart contracts mm -hmm. to work with each other. Okay. All right. So my, my next question is, so for, from what I understood, the QuantStamp token is all about sort of it's a payment token as well as incentivizing through staking and assurance. Okay. So could you give me an example? Well, first, can you sort of tell me how many clients you guys have and sort of give a really sort of simple process of how you took sort of one client from, you know, to, to basically secure the smart contract and how the assurance mechanism actually works. So if you could provide an example, that would be great. Sure. So I think one really, really cool example is think about um, uh, a customer who would come to us to help really audit a token sales smart contract. Typically, we look at this as a entry point or beachhead in our engagement with any customer. Um, we like ERC-20 token smart contracts because they're very well documented and we kind of understand the behaviors behind it. And as a result, uh, once we sort of do a white glove audit where we are verifying the security of the smart contract, looking for different types of exploits such as uh, double spend, re-entrancy, timestamp, uh, ordering. Um, we really then um, let our customers know that their smart contracts are airtight. Once we do that, um, we really create this relationship with customers around security. Um, today, we've audited over 60 uh, projects. Um, we've secured over $700 million in smart contract value. And as a result, um, we've seen a lot of good code and bad code and can really help advise um, different projects uh, around the architecture and design of their projects, right? Beyond ERC-20 
smart contracts. And so after we do an ERCT, ERC20 audit, we typically do protocol audits where we're looking at the business logic of the core protocol, right? An example would be Chainlink. We actually audited their entire uh, Oracle system that was consisted of multiple smart contracts. And from there, because we have built some level of security insurance, we can then help them think through uh, a different way of assuring their smart contract if a, mis uh, a contract misbehaves, right? And so the process again is to really think about an ERC20 token um, smart contract, protocol smart contracts, and finding the community, finding different people to help back those smart contracts in the event of a hack. And if not, these smart contract backers earn interest um, because they're actively making sure that these smart contracts remain safe. Okay, and that's sort of the, the, the staking Correct. Um, part of it where the premium is paid by the actual developer of the smart contract. Going directly to directly the backers. To the backers. And you guys help sort of facilitate that by, by also securing um, that smart contract. Yes, and what's really compelling about this is, this is non-rent-seeking, right? We are creating this protocol so that smart contract owners and backers can directly connect. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, great. Um, thank you so much, guys. I know this is short, um, but we'll definitely have to do another one at some point um, to understand much more about Quantstamp. But yeah, good luck in the, in the pitch, and hopefully you guys get something out of it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So now we are with the fourth project, um, the fourth finalist of the SDO Challenge. I'm here with um, Johannes Carvalho from Brazil. Yes, um, yes. He's the founder of Olay Sports. Um, yes. So Johannes, um, can you introduce yourself and introduce Olay Sports, please? Yes, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I think that the most important point that we went to Dubai not to talk just about a true face of soccer because when we start to, to talk about soccer everyone uh, thinks that we are talking about receiving million salaries playing mm -hmm. the high levels of, of, of challenges but in the real time uh, soccer has another phase has a, a phase that we have a lot of challenges barriers and we are here to present a solution for how to our players, so to how to the soccer players around the world are being revealing, are being discovering, at, and are tracking down to the clubs. Okay, so what, what are the challenges that, that you're trying to solve? What's um, the concept here? The, the first thing is that, uh, in, that we have the statistic, just 1.5% of the players that start or get, get into the soccer player academy reach the high levels or reach the, uh, a really soccer player career. More than 98% of the players are getting out of the game because of barriers. What kind of barriers? Intermediaries, injuries, corruption. There's a lot of things between the club and the players. And sometimes when a player gets to the club was no, not because they are playing very well, but because they feel some obstacles, like he pays and he play. He pays to the manager, he pays to the coach, he pays to some, some, uh, some uh, viewers, 
and then the place. What we want to do, we want to bring the real good players to the clubs with all the information validated by a platform, centralized platform. That's why it's important for us bring the solution with blockchain platform. So, Be what, what type of information do you want? To, what type of information do you want to get validated? Okay, uh, like if if my club, if my soccer club, I looking are looking for a good striker, right? A manager came to the club and I tell, I have the striker. Okay, but who will, will validate that that player that he are telling are a good one? We want to, uh, to get all the information of the players, but with a democracy and with a consensus in the network, because we will, we will get a lot of views, we get a lot of decentralized managers collecting the information and sharing in our platform then when some player get into the club or even get into our selection national selections we can view a public way this this cues of games and who validated this information is not one person telling that i'm good striker is more than thousands per persons modern thousand more than thousand people telling that i'm a good so striker in order for me to understand this then for example you would have let's say there's a striker he played at this game, you'd have a manager who'd go on this platform and say, okay, this guy's good. You'd have the statistics of the actual game. Yes, yes. Also sh sort of being linked to that player yes, somehow. Yes, we will and get unquestionable states in real time. Then when we start to compare the players, we will get a lot of sources where sharing information about the player. This is one of the things. Okay, but what? Why is um, a decentralized? I mean, all all of this is already available, no? I mean, all the stats, all the information. This is all available. Yes, it's centralized, but so what? We we need to get a decentralized method to hear these people that will start help us with the the informations. What it's is, one of like. Okay, you, you like soccer and you get involved with platform just to view of players, just to help us to analyze the projects or analyze the new players, right? And you get information that says some player right now playing close to here. If you were crossing uh, beside him, you can start a car and send for us the information. This is easy, okay? But the blockchain will also help us to develop a platform to connect these players with some investors. Sometimes, like in Brazil or in other countries, uh, players stop to training because they are lack of structure, of a, a lack of investment. With a blockchain platform and with a cryptocurrency integrated with this system, so, uh, with a, every part in the world, someone can invest then and exchange a reward with the player and then he could keep working or keeps training. This is the second point. But the main point is to get off this information and with the, the contents produced, we can make uh, stats of the players in real time. and So you want to reward the people who Reward and validate the information. But how could, how could you validate that this person has given accurate information then? With consensus in their network. If you, you have, you, we have the states, we have the characteristics that we have to validate on that player, we put it in the network, and then we so make a process. Do you already have all the rules 
yes, regulations yes, that yes, for, yes. for the consensus. The excuse that we, we have to analyze, we have that, and just we are putting that on our platform, and do you just follow the, the stats that we have to fill. And what, what, do, you, what do you reward them? The, the people with uh, like, it's the next thing that we are thinking we created a cryptocurrency for that called the OLED coin that will be launching on the next months it's already on the Ethereum network mm-hmm. but we will be the next step to how, how we will reward and how we will make the our platform interesting that the people get involved even as a player or even as a manager, decentralized manager, is one of, one of the things. And but the most important point is, if we have a lot of players get involved of platform, make a registration, we can select who are we are the best, not who are talking that are the best, who is really the best. Okay, awesome, great stuff. Thank you very much, and good luck for the. Thank finance. you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. We are here with our fifth finalist, and we have Matt from the Bahamas. He's a CEO of PO8. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, could you quickly introduce yourself and PO8? So uh, PO8 is a marine archaeology startup that is tokenizing underwater assets. We believe that non-fungible tokens is the future of borderless and seamless asset management and banking. One thing, what's a non-fungible token? So a non-fungible token is a token that cannot be swapped. So that means that the underlying assets of that token is different. Or right, unique. Can you give an example? Yeah. So let's say that I have a artifact that's worth $10,000 that's sitting in a museum and the museum is the custodian. Um, and then I have another token whose underlying assets is a apartment in London. And we decided that I am going to pay for a week uh, to live in your apartment, but we're going to swap, for example. And then you would have my non-fungible token, which was that, um, intrins- which the intrinsic value was a w- w- was the artifact. But you cannot redeem the actual artifact. You only have the value from that artifact. But that is a secure store of value, and it's a buoyant token because you still will see some levels of appreciation and speculation from the market. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. There right, is. So. I'm sorry, I just no, dropped on you. <laughs> it, it's, it's all good. So, all right. Um, so, you, you said marine technology um, and tokenizing artifacts um, through the concept of non-fungible tokens. Correct. So, can you sort of just give an example of, okay, you, you mentioned this artifact, this would have a, um, you're providing the solutions for, for people to tokenize these you know, these art antiques or artifacts and then be put in a museum. So, and then what's the use case for that? What happens after? Okay. So imagine that you don't have to do any of that. We do all of that work for you. You just come to a platform as an investor and you say, okay, I want to buy a non-fungible token, maybe in three forms. The first form is a pre conserved valuation. So that's like when we first get the artifact, it's not fully conserved yet. So you get an evaluation that's maybe 20 to 30% less than the real value. Then you might have to wait for a year, right? So it's an investment. And then after that year, you get a secondary valuation, which is the real price, the market price, which comes from independent evaluators. Maybe they work at Christie's, Sotheby's, so on. And then you experience that 20 to 30% bump, and that is money that you've made. 
Um, and that's money that you're not going to make in traditional asset classes. And then you can go on to sell that on for Ethereum, Bitcoin, or for fiat. Or you can trade it with another non-fungible token, which could be, like I said, the underlying asset could be gold. It could be art. It could be wine. It could be an equity. It could be a bond. It could be whatever. So the, what you just described right now, is this happening in the real world where there is... Um a sort of an alternative investment class for investors for people um, to say oh look there's this artifact that's conserved or currently sort of figuring it out but we need funding if you invest you will you are exposed to the upside it does that does that currently exist and why are you trying to tokenize that what's okay. the so uh, that approach to artifacts does not currently exist but there's been a problem in the, the marine archaeology world, in the artifact world, where people have not been able to conserve artifacts long enough to get them to viewable stages, or where people have not been able to uh, just carry projects through to the end because of funding. And there, there are many projects that could happen. We don't even have explorers anymore. Think about that. We're, we just want to all go off to Mars now. People are not looking in the ocean anymore because of, of the lack of maybe interest, attention, uh, and because we're probably caught up doing a whole bunch of other stuff. But bringing back to, to what you said, the reason is because they are secure stores of value. And in the Bahamas, the market there is worth around $100 billion. And it's been a problem for the Bahamas government for a long time. So we decided to create a solution for that, which is now being exported to South Africa until we're gonna have POA Cape Town. And hopefully we're gonna bring it uh, to the Middle East uh, with Bahrain and Dubai as well. Okay, and what, what is the value for, like who, who are your target customers and where's your rev revenue coming from? So our revenue is coming uh, from the non-fungible tokens because we will own all of those underlying assets. So imagine that we have now unearthed these artifacts, right? These artifacts have a value of, let's say, 200, 300 million dollars. There's several of them, have, have any kind of number, metal class, gem class, an artifact of any sort. Now those things are tokenized and now we need to sell them on to other people who want to have secure stores of value, buoyant tokens, who want to be able to use those assets as collateral to leverage for loans, asset-backed loans, when we can have you know, partners like Salt and other people um, to then uh, do whatever you want. But think about the, 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 the world three years from now, five years from now, where you will be able to shift around all of these assets without moving borders, right? So you can you can say, I, I wanna own this apartment here, I wanna do this, I wanna do that, but I'm doing with non-fungible tokens versus the fungible side of the world, which as we know are the Bitcoins and the, the, the Ether and the EOS and, and those ones. So it's an, it's an alternative way of looking at the future of finance and, and, I, and asset management. And I also think that the market already within itself is there. If you look at our, our, our target market, market is like a private wealth manager. So we have like a, a slew that we meet with on a regular basis. But usually they, they adhere to a lot of regulations. They want insurance providers. They, you know, there's a, a lot of, to, a lot of um, sort of boxes to tick on their side before they evaluate any investment. Just from before even a paper comes in front of them, it has to tick certain boxes before it comes on the table. Correct. So what we've done is on our non-fungible tokens, which we've designed, there is a insurance wrapper. So that insurance gives insurance to the underlying assets. So from an insurance, from a risk standpoint, that's covered. So it meets all of the basic 
requirements for a, an asset manager or a wealth manager to, to give it to their client, uh, who might be high net worth individuals, also to use it as an asset for people to invest in, uh, whether it's to, to diverse, their, diversify their portfolio, just the way art is being done. Um, so I, I do think that this, this is really just um, the beginning of secure stores of value. There are any number of tokenizable asset classes. But for us, these artifacts are something that we believe that we can have maybe even a monopoly on globally and then be able to uh, take those illiquid assets, add liquidity to them, but then have a secondary market by creating historical tourism. And that's what we want to do with the Museum of the Future here in Dubai. So you have tourists coming in to see these in their normal state, also in an augmented state with augmented reality, which we have a department in, in virtual reality. So now you're looking at a whole different world. So you have you know, revenue streams from non-fungible tokens, revenue streams from museum ownership. You have revenue streams from all of the data that we create with virtual reality and augmented reality. We create IPs and then lease them onto other gaming companies. So then it's just like, here's a very diversified portfolio of business that, um, you know, I think we're going to do very well at, and we've seen a, a lot of good growth. I mean, that's why we're here in Dubai. Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. Thank you very much for coming on, and good luck um, in the pitch. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hello, everyone, and we have our sixth finalist. We have Nino Ulrich from Akita Blockchain Solutions, which is based in Singapore. Say hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Could you quickly introduce yourself and also your project? Yeah, my name is Nino Ulrich. I am a co-founder of Akita Blockchain Solution based in Singapore. Our mission is plain and simple. We want to make blockchain tangible. It's a very intangible and a lot of people have problems understanding it. So we integrate hardware and we build actually prototypes based on blockchain. What does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, actually the first uh, project we started in 2016, we just took a smartwatch mm -hmm. and uh, thought, okay, let's try to save our heart rate on a regular basis on a blockchain. And if we can do it, actually, uh, that made, yeah, we, we achieved this. And then uh, we also um, took other sensors in the, in the part of IoT, uh, connected them to blockchain to um, save temperature data, humidity data on a kind of decentralized and tamper-proof database. And what, what's the point of doing that? What does that, um, what does that reap? Yeah, so the, I think the point of it is that uh, blockchain is, like I said, very in, intangible and hard to grasp for people. Mm -hmm. So one thing is that if you put a, a sensor or now we have just built a, a small prototype of a car, which is doing autonomous uh, parking and autonomous payment while it's parking and you as a human, you don't have to do anything anymore. So that is something that you understand without having to understand or know anything about blockchain, mining, hashers or anything like that. Everybody gets it. I so think. what was this related? So this, um, this car that you, you guys brought here, um, which is pretty cool. Um, you've, so wait, do you pay the car to park itself? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So obviously you would have to uh, give the car as a person, so human to machine, uh, pay a little bit of uh, money to the car. But then the car has kind of its own machine bank account, if you want. And then it can uh, drive around. If we talk about autonomous driving, especially in the upcoming years, uh, it can pay for services like charging, uh, doesn't matter, gas or electric. But then also think about autonomous uh, cars if you are at work. 
uh, your car can earn you money. It can do uh, autonomous Uber drives for you and earn money for you. So it can spend and, and uh, buy and sell services by its own. All right. So, so there are a number of ways that the relationship between human and machine um, could basically reap rewards for both. Right? Absolutely. So, uh, even though I still own a car in the future, but that car will be autonomous and that car could do different things or even at a corporation level, if Uber net will own autonomous vehicles, all the money it will get will be in the form of paying the car, which would be owned by Uber, essentially. Absolutely. Something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah, and the, the car is actually just a starting point. So if you look at the overall uh, smart devices, uh, as of today, we have three to one uh, smart devices versus humans, right? So every human has around three devices. By next year, when the Expo 2020 starts, it will increase to four to one. Mm. And researchers uh, say that in another five years after the Expo, it's going to be 10 to one. So like, who is going to manage all these machines, right? We as humans, we have to manage them. No matter how many smart apps you develop them, we have to manage more and more. So for me, it totally makes sense to more and more uh, build a machine-to-machine, human-to-machine economy and enable machines to pay, uh, to buy and sell services between each other. So it's also, it could be solar panels, uh, charging stations, energy grids. Uh, think about the whole like smart city. Like uh, a city is smart and, and the goal like to make Dubai the happiest place of, on earth. Machine-to-machine um, -machine economy can be a part of that. All right. Yeah, no, I definitely, so I have this sort of theory about digital economies and that sort of the paradigm shift, um, what well, represents a paradigm shift in um, online communities and that's human to human, human to machine or machine to machine. So I totally buy that and I totally see it and I, I totally sort of get, get where you're coming from. So in terms of um, the, the solutions that you guys are building out, um, where is your revenue from? Have you guys already made any money yet? Have you and build any solutions that people are actually using now? What, where are you? Yeah, very good question. So the ultimate goal, obviously, is to, to create real services and to have this really in, in running cars. But up until now, we, have, uh, we are the official supplier for uh, Fujitsu Europe and we have built several POCs for them. Um, we also received a, a grant from the IOTA Foundation, uh, which is a non-blockchain-based uh, crypto network, if you want. Um, they're using directed acyclic graph and they granted us uh, 300 uh, US dollars over the next two years to build actually tangible machine-to-machine -machine, uh, showcases. And that's also our goal, like to really build these kind of prototypes, show them to people and, and make people interact with them and really to understand blockchain without having to understand all the technical details. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really like this. You like it's short because you didn't need long to explain stuff. You just made it very clear. Um, and good luck to um, uh, good luck with your pitch and on Wednesday. Thank you. I'm following Encrypted also on Spotify now. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you so much to the finest and congratulations once again for actually making it this far. Um, congrats to Quantstamp who um, took first place. Congratulations to iGrowChain who was second and also in third place was Greyblock Power. And um, we want to thank again Smart Dubai and um, the DFA. Um, in a collaboration for this podcast episode and also the Future Blockchain Summit for organizing a, an extremely great show. And this has been Encrypted 
we really hope that you enjoy this episode please do not forget to rate um, and subscribe to the show those reviews those ratings help the show a lot so please do not forget to um, go ahead and do that all right thank you once again for tuning in and see you next week